Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. In the United States, the death penalty is much debated. Prosecutors vow justice. Victims yearn for closure. Critics claim it is an illegitimate use of state power. It is often applied unfairly and cruelly. But these are abstract issues for most Americans. What happens when the death penalty gets personal? What happens when revenge cries out from deep within the soul when the possibility of taking a life for a life suddenly presents itself as a real option? Then the death penalty sheds its abstraction and the debate becomes a deep soul search. This has been the experience for Matthew Parker, whose troubled life is recounted in his graphic novel, Larceny in My Blood, a memoir of heroin, handcuffs, and higher education. His transformation from capital punishment opponent to death penalty advocate, and then back again, began with the murder of his brother. He wrote about this evolution in a recent essay in the New York Times. He has lived that familiar proverb about revenge being a dish best served cold. It kind of hits you in the gut. You know, at first, I mean, it's a visceral reaction. You you definitely want the person who caused you pain, the person who murdered my brother. I definitely wanted him to suffer. How did you hear about it? From my mom. My mother called me on the phone, and uh, she said they found a body. The body has no tattoos. But she thought John had a tattoo because I had tattoos and my brother had tattoos. So when I told her John does not have any tattoos, that's kind of when we knew. And she was hoping. She was hoping he you had would a say yes. You would say yes. Yes, and I knew he did it, and I could feel that in her voice. How quickly did you know who the murderer was? Just it only took like a couple of days. And did your mom tell you that, or yeah. were you in, really? Yeah. What did she yeah. say? They got him. They got. They, him. they caught him in Oklahoma. Yeah, she said they got him, and that's kind of a relief. But you're kind of looking for closure, but there never really is closure. I mean, you never forget. I don't really like the word closure because when something traumatic like that happens to somebody in your family, that person's, my brother's never coming back. When they arrested him, yeah, you're a little relieved, but my brother's still dead. How certain were you in the beginning that you wanted that fellow dead? I was almost immediately. You know, even uh, when the Phoenix police told me they were going for the death penalty, and they did go for the death penalty, which he didn't get. He ended up getting life. But I knew right away that I wanted him dead. Had you thought much about the death penalty when you were growing up in school, when you talked about, you know, the Constitution and cruel and unusual punishment and the whole big debate going on over capital punishment that was taking place in the late 70s, early 80s? Right. And my thing then was uh, before the murder, I was against it. Against it? Yes. Clearly against Clearly. It. But then when it actually happens, of course. Of course. A whole different thing. So then you really transformed in your outlook. Was this something that you believed generally or just because your brother had been killed and there was like an individual who you knew had done it? Yeah. When, when you have something to point the finger at, when you have a clear perpetrator, it's easy to say, I want that person dead. How did the revenge sort of infect your sense of fantasies about what you wanted done? I think it struck me as something that would make me feel better. You know, it's something that would certainly alleviate some of the pain I was feeling for losing my brother. Was there some duty to your brother that you felt that you needed to defend him in some way and that this uh, revenge, this execution would be part of that? 
No, I don't think there was any duty. It was just that sense of loss, that complete, utter sense of loss that I will never see my brother again, who was admittedly, you know, he used a lot of drugs, but he was a peaceful person. He never bothered anybody, and he didn't deserve this. Did you have a picture in your mind of the perpetrator here? Yeah, even though I had never seen him. You know, you kind of form a vague, sinister figure in, in your mind. And it's easy to, to hone in on that figure because you don't have a face and, you don't, you're not, you know, you have a name. That's it. And you dreamed about that character. Yes. Can you tell me what you said to that character in those dreams? Oh. What your encounters were like? Oh, it was definitely um, why? Why? Why was the first question I would ask him? Why would you do this to my brother? He was totally harmless. You know, I hate you would certainly have been there. I want you dead would have certainly been there. In the course of your life, then, you went on a path that, uh, at least potentially, might have intersected with this sinister individual. Tell me about that. My brother was murdered in Arizona, and I moved there um, probably a year, year and a half after the murder. I was addicted to heroin, and heroin use leads to petty theft. I mean, you really don't have a choice. It's so expensive. You're going to have to steal to support your habit. And so in the course of stealing and in the course of getting caught with drugs, sooner or later, I was sentenced to the same prison system as him. And they told me when I got into the prison system that I have a DNH in my jacket, which means do not house. So my brother's murderer was in this same prison that I was going to. So, now, so they were monitoring you enough to know that you shouldn't be in this same prison? In the same prison with this guy. But when, when I was in the office and he told me about that, I mean, I'd been worried about it all along. What if I ran into this guy? What would I do? What would he do? I mean, here's your vengeance. Right. It's right in your hand. You can do it yourself. It, it brought to reality the death penalty. Okay, here's your death penalty. You can actually do it yourself. And it was a remote possibility that I would run into him, but just that thought in the back of my mind that maybe I would and I would have to kill him myself or maybe be killed, you know, that made me change my whole mind. What was more scary to you, what he might have done if he encountered you or what you would see yourself do? What I would see myself doing. Really? Yes, because I thought that I would have to kill him, that really? I would have no choice really, but to kill this guy. And uh, once I thought that, and then I started thinking about the actual physical mechanics of murder. In a prison. In a prison. I mean, you're not going to get a butcher knife. You're going to get like a screwdriver. A shank or a baseball bat or a razor blade even, you know. And I knew I couldn't do it. I knew it wasn't in me to do it. And it wasn't so much that I was fearing for my life, although that was certainly an aspect. It's just I realized that I didn't want to kill anybody. You know, it just wasn't in me. But that means then that the state shouldn't do that that's, either? That's the conclusion I came to, yes. And in some sense, isn't it interesting how your view of justice in this um, closed society of a prison is extrapolated to the rest of us? Right. In a sense, you know, we're closed in to a place where we really have to be concerned about the implications of violence even if we can't see it. Right. Prison is a microcosm of society. Is the way I look at it. You have your groups, and each group hates in their own individual way. And it's easy to hate in a collective. That's one of the things I found out in prison. It's easy to hate when everybody else in your group is hating. And you see the same thing in the real world. The thing about in prison, it's more, it's more out in the open. 
the white guys all have swastikas tattooed on them. It's obvious. On the streets, it's not so obvious, but the hate is still there. I mean, so are there lessons from your life, from the larceny in your blood, which is the title of your book, right. um, that might be useful as people struggle with the notion of justice in places like Aurora, Colorado, where random shooting takes place in a theater, in uh, Wisconsin, where uh, this uh, unsuspecting group of worshipers is suddenly confronted by an obviously angry individual? Yeah, I think the prison is not pleasant. So somebody who gets life in prison is never going to get out. We had it with Loeffner, just pled guilty. Right. Who, and the uh, Tucson shootings. And the Tucson shootings. He's never going to get out of prison. His life is going to be miserable, miserable, miserable for the rest of his life. So I don't see any justification for the death penalty. All right. So, so the idea that um, prison is some sort of reward versus the death penalty, throw that out right away. Throw it right out, yeah. Secondly, what about this notion that you've struggled with for decades about closure? What lesson do you have for the people in uh, these uh, locations about closure? Closure is it's the grieving process. That's the way I, I define it. See, I did a lot of drugs to cover my pain. And sooner or later, you have to get over the drugs. Sooner or later, you have to get over the death and you just have to go through the process. I mean, it's long and it's painful. It's, it's just a horrible thing, but you get better and you can actually learn from it. You know, a lot of uh, politicians talk about uh, in the pursuit of justice, there's something called victim's rights. But it sounds like what you're saying is that the grieving process and personal anger and notions of vengeance and bitterness should be as far removed from justice as it can possibly be. Yeah, I think so. The whole notion of justice is there really isn't justice because justice really means an equalization. When somebody takes the life of a loved one, there's nothing equal. That loved one's never coming back. The person in prison is going to suffer. They got to live with it every day. So justice really, you have to find your own justice. You know, you have to find it in your heart and in your soul. Matthew Parker's graphic novel is called Larceny in My Blood. He wrote about his transformation regarding the death penalty in a recent essay in the New York Times. 